So we arrive at the end of the, of the time of the judges, and Ruth, we talked about setting up for coming, but Israel's not content. Israel, remember, God never intended them to have a king, but it became their desire to be like all the other nations of the world and to have a king. And what begins the monarchy is not God's will unfolding in his people. It's God willing to work with what his people wanted even when he didn't want it. He wanted to be their king. He was very uh, comfortable with this kind of leadership system that was more informal. It was judges in various locales, and certainly that depended on their character, which wasn't always uh, the best. But the people wanted a king. They wanted to be like the other nations of the world. And even when God said he would give them a king, he warned them. Again, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And these kings would take your children to war. These kids would, these kings would take your daughters and make them their wives and have multiple wives. And he, he warned them about the whole idea of, which I, I think we deal with in our culture, is the cost of celebrity. Cost of living in space no human being was designed to live in and how corrupting it is on the life of the people. And that's when we get to the monarchy now, the United Kingdom. We begin to see that corruption set in with Saul, very first king early on. Then David, some problems there. Obviously, you get to Solomon and Solomon gets to a place that's so bad, God says, I'm going to take the kingdom from your hand. And that's how this monarchy ends. So we're going to talk about the United Kingdom. In some sense, it was a heyday for Israel. I mean, Israel was successful in battle. David was one of the best battle guys out there. They had this ongoing battle with the Philistines. This is going to be one of the things that uh, is, is common in the story. But now we're going to move on from Moses to work through up now through the time of David. And what sets up for that is, first of all, Israel's demands for a king and God's willingness to give in to that, even though it wasn't what he wanted. And even he know that a lot of the effects of that would be harmful to his people and to his work. He still relents, lets them have a king. Saul's the first one chosen. Saul starts out pretty well, uh, chosen as kind of a surprise. And then as he becomes king, he gets infused with the power. He has a major problem in his, in his reign. He goes out to battle. God says to bring no, nothing home, no spoils from the war. He brings it back anyway because he can't resist. And when Samuel sees that he's in, Samuel's become the key prophet guy early, another great significant name that you're going to know. He could be on this chart of seven, except we're using David in the middle of the monarchy to do it. Samuel is now risen as a prophet out of the time of the judges. And prophets now are going to become increasingly significant to Israel. It's Samuel is the first big one. Then we hear about Nathan, who's involved with David's sin. And then we're going to get to Elijah and Elisha, which are going to be prophets who didn't write. So they're not part of the prophet... Uh, uh, history that we're going to talk about later, but they are some of these significant prophets that represented the voice of the Lord into the, to the community. And they represented the voice of the Lord as a counterpoint to where the kings were often wanting to lead the people that wasn't exactly with what, what God wanted. So we, we end up in a very, in a time in Israel where it's not the environment that God had in mind, but that Israel had chosen and God was willing to work with it in a sense of bringing them to redemption. We're moving from Moses, as we said, the Exodus about 1500 B.C., 1445, 1446, to David now we're talking about 1000 B.C. So we've 500 years have progressed, and now Israel has a king, Saul, as he comes back with these spoils of war, and Samuel catches him. Instead of repenting, I think here's a big difference between Saul and David. What Saul does and gets the kingdom removed from him seems so much less than what David did. The difference, I think, is when Saul gets caught, he justifies himself. There's no repentance. I just had to do this, and I didn't really do what you think I did. And he's justifying himself. And Samuel says, I'm going to give the king to another. And he goes and finds David and anoints him. So shepherd boy, 
and down the line of a family. When David gets caught, his sin is much worse. This is not, a, you know, I know David and Bathsheba is often told as a torrid love affair. This is a king raping a woman he sees across the way that he wants desperately. This is not a love affair. This is, not, this is her doing what the king is requiring. And so this is a rape. It's a, it's a power rape. It's not a sense of finding her on the street and raping her, but the power that he has over her. And she goes along with that. And then she gets pregnant and sends word to the king. And for the king, it was just going to be a one-night stand, but the pregnancy complicates things. So he brings Uriah home, one of his mighty men, one of the top warriors of David, one of the ones that David respects the most, brings him home, wants him to sleep with his wife so at least the pregnancy pretense can cover for David what he's done wrong. But Uriah refuses to. Uriah is just a man like no other. My goodness, that he would come home from war after being at battle, have the opportunity to sleep with his wife. And he said, I will not sleep with my wife while my men are still on the battlefield. So he sleeps outside on the porch, and then that, that gets him killed. David says, you got to put him in battle, in the hottest part of the battle, and then withdraw from around him so he gets killed. He's the king. He gets to do that to people. And that's why God didn't want there to be a king. But when David's caught, when Nathan comes in and tells him the story, David immediately repents. David shows a very different heart. Even though his sin, I think, would be more egregious, he's got rape and murder involved, where you know, you, I, I guess the worst you've got with Saul is you've got some greed and envy and some disobedience, but it, it's still the difference between a repentant heart, which God can continue to work with, and an unrepentant, justify, rationalize, was the thing that God said, now I've got to remove you. So then David becomes the next king. And David has a, a, a very toward reign. I mean, there's a betrayal of his own son, Absalom, which we read about. There's, and David's refusal not to take the kingdom by his own power or authority. He, he, he leaves the castle, trusts God to deal with it, and God does. And David comes back to reestablish his kingship. And the time of David is, is, a, is a, basically a time of peace. There's some battles going on with the Philistines. It's kind of a golden age in Israel's history, at least in terms of external pressure. Uh, on, the king, on the kingdom. There seems to be plenty in, in the kingdom of ability. David makes some mistakes. One, he makes a census. is another mistake he makes. He counts the people because he wants to know how many we have for battle. And uh, God didn't want him to and said, you're putting your strength in the wrong thing. And to teach him a lesson, there's, I mean, it's just amazing. He has to choose between one of three kinds of punishments. Um, again, God is really wanting us to have a seriousness about sin and his will. And I think what the marvelous thing about the cross does is it gives us both. It gives us God as a mercy giver. And God's not angry and God wants to be engaged with my sin. But I still realize how serious my sin is with God. And now I get to deal with it as a real problem in my life and not the thing that makes God hate me. That, that to me is the wonderful thing the cross does. The cross doesn't mean, hey, God doesn't care about sin. It, look how much God cares about it. Look what it does to you. That's being underscored here in the Old Covenant. And so David has a, a few of those problems. He writes some wonderful psalms. We're going to talk about the wisdom literature in just a moment. And as he moves from that, then Solomon is the one who becomes the king in his stead. Now, that's an interesting character. For one, at the very end of David's reign, he decides that he's living in this incredible palace. And God's still living in that tent out there. And so he's going to build God a temple as if God ever wanted a temple. It was bad enough having a tabernacle. And again, what we're seeing in this part of the Old Testament is God is accommodating to stuff going on in Israel that's not his first choice. It's not God my way or the highway. Okay, this is as far as you're willing to follow. I'll meet you here. This is as far as you're willing to follow. 
I'll meet you here. And you have God doing that, which to me is extraordinary. It shows, it doesn't show this unrelenting, distant, angry tyrant saying, you will do it my way or else. It's, you want a king? Have a king. You want to build a temple? Well, what he says to David is, you're a man of blood. You've been at war. You're a, you know, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't, if we're going to build a temple, let your son do it. He's not going to be the same, have the same blood on his hands that you have. So you're even seeing that God's not all that excited and delighted in all these wars that are necessary if they are, and some that are and some that aren't, some just to take more land and, you know, just greed, and some may be necessary to defend from the enemies. But God's not all that excited about it. He doesn't want a man with blood on his hands to be building the temple. Now, the fact that Solomon becomes king, if I was Uriah the Hittite in heaven, I'd be going, God, what are you thinking? Solomon is Bathsheba's son. David's got other wives. It's Bathsheba that gives birth to Solomon. It's, how can you use her? How can you use that? God's amazing ability to redeem our worst mistakes, again, being underscored throughout the Old Testament. But it's Bathsheba gives birth to Solomon, and Solomon becomes king. And Solomon didn't have the same heart David had. Again, as you get to kingship and you get to second generation leaders and you get to nepotism and the only reason you're leading is because you're the son of the guy that was first, which is how kingship works. Solomon doesn't have the same heart that David has. He starts out with a heart for wisdom. When God asks him, I'll give you anything, he asks for a heart of wisdom. So Solomon's incredibly wise. This is the mixed deal you get with Solomon. Incredibly wise. And write some wonderful wisdom literature that we're going to talk about in the next section. That's wonderful. At the other side, he's a man totally given to his passions, totally given to, he's got 300 wives and 1,000 concubines, 900 concubines or some crazy thing. He, he's got more women in his life than he needs, and they end up being his undoing. And he's got to show off his, when he finally builds the temple and dedicates it to God, he's got to show it off to the Queen of Sheba and so shows off all the wealth of his kingdom. And God, again, God didn't want him doing that. And it's going to, so there's things that begin to cost Solomon at this time in, in this season of, of the monarchy that, that is problematic at best. There's good things going on that God's making himself known and working in the construct of what's going on. And then there's man's corruption with power. And that, that becomes a story that we're going to see lived out more just beyond Solomon's reign, which we'll talk about in the section after we get to the wisdom literature. But that, that's, that's those books. And those books that tell us that story are First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Those are one continuing story. Those are, Samuel was originally one book and Kings was one book. Then it got split out to one and two. But Samuel and Kings are exact, they're a through story. You can read them as one book. And then Chronicles is a retelling. It starts with David's reign, leaves out all the Saul stuff. It starts toward the end of David's reign and goes through the time of David all the way up to the, through the divided monarchy and up to the fall, up to the fall to Babylon. So that, that's how you read the history. There's not a lot of other books that go around that other than the wisdom literature we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, but that, that's where you're going to get that story. And so when you read Chronicles and you're going, gosh, it felt like I just read this. You just did if you read Kings. Uh, what you can do is read them kind of together. Just kind of read Chronicles and then read Kings. So, and you're getting, like the Gospels, you're getting two views of the same story. And the views are somewhat a little different. Somebody else is writing. And in fact, Chronicles is kind of the left outside of stuff. It's, it's kind of someone who wanted to fill in more of the history than was in the book of Kings. And so we find them filling it out. 
But great stories about the monarchy and particularly the early stage, Saul, David, Absalom. It's a great book about that that I, I, I think is one of the five best books ever written, even though the man who wrote it kind of wrote, is involved in some other things that I'm not so thrilled about. It's called A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. And I think that it's, it's a classic about the reign of Saul and David and Absalom and betrayal and what you deal with when brothers and sisters who start out to be your friend don't turn out to be your friend. And so it's got the whole Jonathan and Absalom, the, the, the sharing of friendship that's deep and abiding, the loss of friendship. That's a good application of some of the stories we're reading here. But we are seeing God work with a group of people who wanted a king instead of him. And that causes all kinds of problems, not only for the, king, the kingdom itself, but for the kings who are trying to rule in his place.